The Baby Lambs podcast may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. shocked i know we are actually recording a new episode are we okay are we? i, I hope so recording the new episode yeah i think yeah i don't know we're seeing little lines here okay there lines they are there. they're little lines there they are but hi you're not mistaken yeah it's it it is we're back yeah we're we're back and fully ready and back mm-hmm. did you did you did you miss us i know we were gone so long but like life you know yeah, I want to say, what, like a month? Yeah, it got a little hectic there for a moment for me. I mean, you went to two weddings. I did. I did go to two weddings. For I traveled s- to Philadelphia. You did. You and did. then we came back and celebrated the same people <laughs> for a wedding. Um, But Philly was great. Highly recommend it. It's definitely the city of brotherly love. That's. I don't know if I saw any brothers, but, you know. Well, that's cool. I'm glad you had such a good time because, like, Philly's always been one of those, like, is it a fun place? It is. <laughs> I'm happy to report it is. There is enough to do. Like, it's one of the few cities that I've been to where, first of all, I went with no plans because so much of it was going to be, like, celebrating my cousin, right? So, like, the bachelorette, like, the wedding, going out to dinner and, like, brunch and all that stuff. So, we did a lot of that, and I was like, I'm not even gonna, I just know that, like, where the rocky steps are, there's a museum. (laughs) So, we did go to that museum, which was massive, and it was beautiful and really, really cool. Um, But while we were there, that we were, like, looking for things to do at night, that's how I learned, like, how much more there is to do, and the food scene is awesome. Yeah? What was the best thing that you ate while you were there? (sighs) Cheesesteak egg rolls, baby. (laughs) I'm obsessed. I I like it so much that I don't want to learn how to make it because I just want to go back to Philly to eat it again. Where did where like are they like all over the place? Or yes, really. For the most part, yeah. It's like I didn't know. I thought that cheesesteak was really what like the thing that's that like people in Philly have. No, it's those egg rolls, and. You can basically get them anywhere. So it's like their croquetas. Mm. You know? It's so good. Because it's like fried. And then it has like all the cheesesteak inside of it. Bro, it was so good. So good. Um, And it's a drinking city, which is nice. Um, Places are really chill. It's inexpensive, you know, in comparison to Miami. Or even to New York, you know? Like you could do a lot um reading reading terminal was awesome which is cool. like their indoor market um one thing i learned through my cousins is that similar to new york city right like there aren't like large grocery stores okay in the in the metropolitan area so like you do do your groceries at reading terminal or 
like the outdoor Italian market and stuff. Um, so that was cool to like learn. Like, it's kind of difficult to to actually be a functioning adult that wants to cook at home. <laughs> because you can technically walk anywhere and everywhere there's a restaurant, so or like a corner store or whatever. It's it's fun. Yeah, honestly, it sounds kind of awesome. Yeah, and we walked because of so my cousin booked us an Airbnb like in a central area which you know like when you go to new york you're tech that's like technically how you feel and it's easy for you to walk like among where you're at but for the most part like you have to take the train to go like to most of the places that you technically want to go to we walked a lot like everything was within a mile and we were like okay so we're just gonna walk it and then on the way back we'll just stop at multiple places um Awesome. Yeah, that's cool. So Philly w- was something that was something that you did, yeah. uh, and then there was also a lot of work stuff. We've, yeah, we've been we've both yeah. had a lot of heavy work stuff to do. Yeah, and uh, yeah, work wise, I feel like we're both the busiest we've been in like a while, mm-hmm. despite the fact that like we've been busy throughout all of COVID and work. <laughs> Pretty much. I, yeah. I don't know what it has been about this month, but. <sighs> whatever we're finally seeing the tail end um we and also i mean there's to and it's just ironic that we've been in like this like busy period while Mm -hmm. there's been so much going on yeah um so like i i I, it's important to preface this episode with you know we haven't been avoiding cuba yeah okay like we haven't been avoiding coming on here to talk about it um you know we've we've boasted for a long time like this is a podcast about two like cuban or cuban descent women from miami Mm -hmm. um and uh and and if you're not familiar with what's going on we we want to make sure to cover as much of that as possible for you uh and you know it's it's been unfortunate that we haven't been able to come on here to to talk about it yeah i mean i also feel that like we've talked about our existence and our experience as Cuban Americans in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me personally, like I was just so focused on getting as much information for myself and getting it out there as possible that like I knew that so many other podcasts would be talking about it that week that for me I was like, I want to see where this goes like in the long run. Because I don't want to jump the gun and have this, like, beautiful and fruitful conversation. And then, like, the week has passed and Cuba's a thing that, like, we're not even talking about anymore at the end of the month, you know? Um, Because I really wanted to see it through. I really wanted to see where we were at the end of the month. And and it's it hasn't gone away. Yeah. Thankfully. Yeah, yeah. Thankfully, like, I'm... A part of me is kind of shocked, I have to say. You know, same. You know, I think it's very easy for, for, um, for. I mean, it, this is this is of course the first big time that we've seen consistent protesting in Cuba that yeah. has involved like everyday citizens. That wasn't part of like La Mujer en Blanco, like yeah. uh, you know, like th- this is this is. You know, so it, but even so, there have been other protests in Cuba. Yeah. So it's, 
and it's easy to for people to you know ignore that those happen um so it makes sense that you know like seeing what happened and seeing how it's going you you can easily think like oh this is gonna kind yeah. of like wash away unfortunately in, in a couple of days and but um i think okay we're getting ahead of ourselves for um in case you are not familiar with what what we're talking about imagining that you're not from miami or you're not from south florida or maybe you're not even from this country and you're yeah. and you're not really that familiar with what's going on uh you want to do the sure. synopsis? So on July 11th, um, there was a protest in Havana. And then throughout the day, more protests started happening throughout Cuba. Um, so I'm going to start here. Last year in November, Movimiento San Isidro started protesting. Because that's, that's who you have to give credit to. Um, and since then, there have been... One or two people consistently protesting from the island. You know, that's how we got, like, the the song Patria Vida. So for for people that are not familiar with Cuba, um, there's a there's an old saying that is called Patria Muerte, which is, uh, what is it? Like, patri- uh, patriotism or death? Yeah, so to- in reference to Cuba. And it's something that, like, when you're going through school, you're very much indoctrinated in all of these sayings. Like, when you're going through the island, you see, like, all of these propaganda-type billboards with different sayings from all of, like, the revolutionaries of the Cuban, um, of the Cuban government, right? Like, Camilo Cienfuego, Che Guevara, Fidel, Raul. Um, and... Patria Muerte has been, like, a thing that we've always said. So as a Movimiento San Isidro has happened and continues to happen, um, which we talked about it at that time, back mm-hmm. in, like, November, December 2020. So they came out with the song, and they featured people from, like, Orishas, Gente de Zona, um, a couple of well-known Cuban rappers that are still on the island. It was, honestly, it's a beautiful song. I highly recommend we, I think we both highly recommend that you listen to it. Mm-hmm. Um, if you don't speak Spanish, put subtitles. <laughs> yeah. um, Just groove. Groove. Yeah. So we had that song, and then, yeah, July came around. And on July 11th, um, there were protests throughout the island. And all of us that have been here and throughout the... All of us in El Exilio, right? Like, in the exile we've all been shocked because Cubans are literally in every part of the world. Like, it's, I'm not being um, facetious. Like, we are literally everywhere. Like, I have been to Japan. I have met Japanese Cubans. I have mm-hmm. gone to Turkey. I have met Cubans in Turkey. Like, we are literally, wherever you think there's a country, we are there. <laughs> <laughs> um, that is how far away we've wanted to get away from, from the Castro regime. So... These protests started happening. All of us here were like, what the fuck? Oh, my God. Like, are you seeing this? Like, this is crazy. Like, I, rem- I recall, like, I, I saw one of my high school friends posted. I was like, is this, like, right now? She's like, yeah, it's happening. Let's go. Like, we got to move this at the other. Um, and it's just kind of been constant. But <laughs> I, on July 13th, I mean, really July 11th, but July 13th was, like, the first full day where, like, Cuba went dark. Yeah. 
um, because like you know the, the internet is run by the government so the government decided to shut off the internet and the government decided to like have apagones throughout the the island which is um, state sanctioned uh, elect- electricity removal or shut off mm. electrical shut offs so the island went dark and the island has kind of been dark since that day so we're just we're still getting like a lot of videos and images of people protesting we are at i think about over 800 people that have been kidnapped and have disappeared for us you know like there's many people that have been put in a prison one day and then they've been moving them throughout the island through different prisons they are being tortured they are without food without water they are put in solitary confinement there have been reports of people being given water in a bucket so that that they give them water in a bucket for two hours and that is their drinking water and bathing water water for the day um young people have been shot at and murdered by the police in cuba because while people have been peacefully protesting the cuban government has come out and has officially declared war on its people that happened on the um 11th i think at the end of the day and it stayed constant um the smaller towns are the ones that you don't see a lot about in the in social media or in any of the reports because those are the towns where the police have been able to come in and just take over um which means that it doesn't give room for the people to actually go out and protest and if you do decide to come out and protest then you will be automatically sent to jail so you know that skit that we love to quote from um from parks and recreation right like Uh, Yeah, we're talking about Venezuela. So, like, you overcook your chicken, you go to jail. You undercook the chicken, you go to jail. That's basically been Cuba for 60-plus years and even more so in the past three weeks. Mm -hmm. Um, And so a lot of different organizations, like local organizations in South Florida, have been focusing on requesting donations to either recharge phones on the island to ensure that people keep, like, basically protesting and showing the world that things are still happening um, or to donate medicine. So what what really caused all of this outside of El Movimiento San Isidro is that in the past seven months, COVID has gotten worse in Cuba. Um, yes, there has been a vaccine, but it's not made, like not everybody has access to it. Um, the rations are still a thing. There is no food on the island. There is only food for tourists on the island. Um, we see the reports of, or the images of tourists in the island eating well and having their beautiful vacations on my island while my family is starving. Um, and there's nothing. There's like, there's no toilet paper. I mean, to be fair, there hasn't been toilet paper in forever, but now even less than before. Uh, the government sanctioned stores, which are all of the stores, are empty and you can't afford what's there as a Cuban citizen. Yeah, to, to clarify, um, goods and such that are confiscated mm-hmm. by Cuban officials, either mm-hmm. by family members at the airport or um, or whatever, if they if they manage to get their hands on, on American goods, they will take them and put them in these stores on the island that are government-sanctioned stores in which the only way you can purchase those items are with American dollars. Yeah. And the Cuban the Cubans do not make American money. They make uh, el, el, peso. el peso. 
which is significantly lower in value yeah. and only exists on the island. So to put it in perspective, what a Cuban person makes in terms of USD is about 18 to 22 dollars a month. And let's say, for example, you want to buy your kid a book bag to start school. The book bag is about $85. Not 85 pesos, $85. So that's a lot of months that you have to save up to get your child um, a book bag. Mm -hmm. Which, uh, spoiler alert, book bags are not a common thing back home. So Mm -hmm. um, don't think that, like, it's so easily uh, accessible. They are only there. When you see them, it's usually because someone from El Exilio sent it to them. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, I do want to say this one thing. I choose to refer to the Cuban government um, as either the Cuban government or the Castro regime because I personally do not take issue with socialism or communism. And while a lot of the Cuban doctrine is centered around these ideals, what it really is is an asshole system Mm -hmm. created by assholes and murderers. Um, so I also don't need anyone to come up here and like try to applaud me for like feeling the way that I feel. I am a very well-educated woman in what I'm speaking about, as well as, as Ashley. So I don't need anyone's support in that matter. And I don't need to hear about anyone trying to tell me how Cuba is because I lived it. Mm-hmm. And my family has lived it. And Ashley's family has lived it. So, lived experiences matter more than what a textbook says to me. 100%. And that's definitely been part of, like, the, uh, like, the battle that, um, that we're seeing a lot of the, um, Cuban exiles and their families kind of experiencing as they are sharing a lot of this information online. So, there's been, like, a great social media movement that has been really led by the Cuban people and sort of carried by the, um, you know, the Cuban exiles from Mm -hmm. wherever they are, who are making it a priority to repost and share, you know, all of the atrocities going on on the island. I mean, we're talking about like, we're talking about like teenage boys are being pulled out of their homes, like 12, 13 years old. They're being given guns. Mind you, you have to consider that all that the citizens of Cuba don't have weapons. Yeah, it is illegal for you to own a weapon. And they're handing them, like, AK-47s yeah. and saying, anybody in, in your neighborhood that is acting up, kill them. Yep. Okay? And I also, to add to mm-hmm. that, I want to say that this is how ridiculous the, the Cuban government is. So once you graduate... High school, right, or how we say it back home, like Ebre Universitario, um, aka Ebre, you have to enlist in, um, like in the military. Yeah, you have to enlist in the military. So it is a <laughs> volunteer slash required thing for you to do as a man. So mm-hmm. at sixteen, which is sixteen seventeen, is when you usually finish high school over there. And then at that point, you do your servicio militar mm-hmm. for two years, two to three years. And then you come back home. You come back home because, yeah, Cuba has their, like, armed forces or whatever, but it's not to the, to the degree that it is here. Mm. Um, and because you did this doesn't mean that you're going to get a scholarship to go to school because school is free, right? Like, all these other things. So to, to your point, right, um, these 12, 13, well, these 12 to 16-year-old boys... Um, that are being 
put that are being forced to do this because they've enlisted is because they enlisted to something that the government requires them to do. So they had no chance. They don't have a say in how they want to participate. They may have they may have never even wanted to attend these protests and are being forced as you were saying to kill their family member, their neighbor, their friend. Um, and the people that are, are in the police, it's not like they live in a, in a town over. These are people from their community. They are killing their neighbors, mm. you know? Um, some of them may have wanted to because not, I, I, I hate this thought process that like, because they're doing it, like, because they don't have a choice, they don't want to do this. Mm. But I also feel like there have been people that have been part of these systems for so long and have benefited to whatever degree, right? Not to this, like, massive degree. Just to have a little bit more than other people and have flaunted it. That doing what they're doing was just something that they've always done. Mm. You know, just because we're seeing people get killed now doesn't mean that these people have not been killing people for years. Mm-hmm. Um, Because I lived through that fear of, like, you can't say anything in your own house because, like your upstairs neighbor might hear you and might tattletale on you. Mm-hmm. Um, so you were saying, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, that, no. Um, so like, so why are the people protesting? That's a, that's a good question, right? The people, there, there's a lot of speculation about what, why the people are protesting. Um, a lot of like Amer- American people will tell you that they're protesting the U.S. embargo. Yeah, blogueo. Mm-hmm. Blogueo. Um, they'll, a lot of them will tell you that they're, that they're protesting the lack of COVID vaccines, um, and the embargo. Um, but it's important to, if you don't understand what they're saying on, in the videos that are being thrown about, what they're saying, it has nothing to do with COVID vaccines. I mean, COVID definitely is a proponent in what has happened. Um, COVID is an added factor here. Uh, yeah, absolutely. It's a variable. It is 100% a huge variable in yeah. the reason that they are fed up. Yeah. But what they're asking for is freedom because they don't, they can't make any decisions for themselves. They yeah. can't, you know, as, as you mentioned, they can't go out and go to the store and buy food. They're still on a ration system. And you have to consider, too, that because of COVID, in addition to all of the spread of COVID on the island, you're talking about a country that thrives on tourism. That is its main source of mm-hmm. export income. And people haven't been traveling to Cuba. Well, they they reopened that. They island. have reopened it. They have reopened it. But at but for many, many months, mm-hmm. not Cuba has always had a very fragile economic structure because of what Castro designed and yeah. what his people designed. And, uh, and with that came... Uh, a reflection in those rations. Yeah. Like what they were, what they were actually offering families. Yeah. Completely started to fall apart even more so than Mm -hmm. what the minimal that they were giving away anyway. So you have that then. And I know that you mentioned this and actually in a previous podcast, how like people who, who are sick, they were closing off certain areas of the country. So you were kind of isolated in Mm -hmm. these territories and say the nearest hospital is in the territory next door to you. You couldn't cross the border to get yep. in, to get to that hospital. It doesn't matter. It's not like you have medicine anyway. Yep. 
be, so people who are who manage to get into a hospital because they happen to know a nurse or a doctor or know someone who knows someone because that's really how it works over there. It's not like oh free healthcare, que rico. Yeah, it, yeah. I mean, like you can see your doctor for free, but like chances are, if you need to have a procedure done, they're gonna give you the receta so that you can send it to your family member elsewhere to get you these items so that then you could send it to them so that then they could have the procedure done. Because if not, you are risking... It would be better at that point for you to die than for you to potentially be put through that procedure using um, the tools that they have because a lot of the tools are very old. Um, A lot of the tools have been used for hundreds of procedures. You know, The um, facilities are falling apart Mm -hmm. so like what's been research what's been surfacing right right before these protests started happening is that fucking island bro the surge in covid cases had gotten so high that the hospitals were were like at capacity and then some and because the government is how it is they were still doing the electrical shutoffs. So while people may have gone to the hospital and while the hospitals may have been in overflow, had the electricity stayed on and had they had the capacity to at least treat some of these people, people would have survived. But because of the electrical shutoffs, people were dying in the daily. Like outside of whatever symptoms that they had, there aren't any ventilators and the ventilators that they did have because you're shutting off electricity and because they don't have generators, people were just dying. So they chose to kill their people mm-hmm. in an effort to do I don't know what. In, um, in an effort to isolate the island to make sure that there wasn't access. And to keep blaming the embargo and the blockade. Siempre. I want to, I want to make it clear here. I want to make it clear here. I am... I am for the removal of the embargo and I am for the removal of the blockade. That being said, everything that the Cuban government does is you cannot blame the embargo and the blockade for this. You can blame some of the things, but not all of it. Not all of it. Because we are a rich and fertile land that is not used. There are places in Cuba where even as a tourist, you cannot go into and then you also, as a farmer, cannot harvest on because the government doesn't allow you to. You grow these animals that you sell to the government because the government uses these things for its people and then there's not enough for the people. Children as of the age of seven no longer get milk. But the truth is that even up to the age of seven, you're lucky if you had gotten milk once. So there's all of these things in this one system that do not work and we're consistently blaming the embargo and the blockade. Where, again, there are items to blame there, but it is not the sole fault because Cuba still trades with other countries, Cuba still has tourism, and if they are able to find all of these resources for these tourists, they should also be available to its people. And its people should be able to sell the items that they grow to their neighbor. Mm-hmm. And not be imprisoned for it. And exactly, you can be imprisoned for selling your own bananas, or sentenced to death. Yeah, sentenced to death for selling an item that you grew. Imagine me, a person that can barely grow anything. That's a lie. I've seen. No, I've I've grown stuff, but like, yeah. but I'm not very consistent in my garden. But let me let me tell you. So I had my fruta bombas, right? My papayas. Mm-hmm. Let's say I wanted to sell them to you. Mm-hmm. 
you imagine me being sentenced to death because I wanted to sell you a fruta bomba? Or worse. How, and how do you blame it on the embargo? How I, Exactly. How can you blame... Uh, you understand, like, when you're growing animals on your, on your farm and your family is starving and you can't kill a pig to feed your own family mm-hmm. in fear that you will be killed as a result mm-hmm. because that pig isn't owned by you, though you bred it, you raised it, Mm-hmm. you've taken care of it it does you're, you don't own said pig mm-hmm. that pig and everything else including your home mm-hmm. is owned by the government yep therefore you are stealing yeah. from the government and therefore they are able to charge you with yeah. penalty and, of death and to be fair i i cannot blame people for hating communism and socialism as much as they do because cuba is a very poor example of these things yeah. right um, they literally own everything and make it so that you as a person have no, no, no wealth. You basically owe everything to the government mm-hmm. and they want to make you feel that if the government did not exist, therefore they could not exist. Exactly. Right. Um, so it is very difficult, like, and we can't even get to like all of these nuances about this island because it just it's so much. Yeah, it's a thesis. It and then some. So it's very difficult to to see it, to understand it and and know that like as proud as I am of seeing my people fight, I'm fearful that it won't get anywhere. It's I mean that's that is a big topic of, of, of what's happening here. It's like, on one end, you really want the people to continue to uprise, right? Yeah. You want them to continue to uprise because right now they're not scared. Yeah. And that's half of what, that's the majority of what has made this regime powerful, yeah. has been this fear. And the more, you know... It, it, what sucks is you have these people who are trying to fight. They're getting pushback because now, I mean, there's a lot of reports of, you know, foreign nations bringing in their own military to help mm-hmm. sort out what's going on. And it's not ours. It's like China, Venezuela, like other communist quote unquote countries. Um, and they have, you know, and it has been been effective in silencing a bunch of people. Yeah. You know, who have also been losing their family members left and right because they are suspected or had participated in the July 11th um, protests. Yeah. So you want them to be, you want them to continue to remain, you know, motivated. Mm-hmm. But then it's like to what end, right? There's only so, there's only so many endings to this story. Yeah. You have like the most fruitful ending would be that they are successful in toppling the government Mm -hmm. and you know foreign aid is able to enter the island and re and you know establish a whole new system of government and develop a new constitution Mm -hmm. and you know have you know democratic elections like all of these things which which you know even though that is the ideal will take more than just a few months to do you know this is gonna take several years years of brain cleaning not even brainwashing like re re, like reprogramming an entire people 
to consider the option, like other yeah. options that they were never given before. That would be the best case scenario. The worst case scenario is that the country is is, is successful in just eliminating all its people. Yeah. Basically. And being able to just say, you know what? You guys don't matter. But that's also a dumb thing because they don't survive without the people because the people literally can't work for... They don't work for themselves. They work for the government. But that's the worst case scenario and that seems to be what their motivation is. It's to continue to step on everybody's heads until they feel like, oh, they're willing to kill me. Yeah, and and to be fair, it seems right now that um, fear is really gone because Mm -hmm. people, like, multiple people from families have disappeared have been part of the, like, the kidnapped and disappeared group. And their families keep fighting. Yeah. Like, we really aren't scared anymore. And that is... Pretty beautiful. That's powerful. Yeah. That is powerful. Like, where you know that you are fighting a war with nothing but maybe a machete and some bricks. Mm -hmm. And baseballs. And baseballs. A lot of baseballs. A lot of Um, baseballs. You know, and, like, all they want, man, all they want is, like, freedom. Yeah. And I know that, so something that I've, that, that I've been talking about for a bit now is like, right, like, what does freedom mean? You know, like, what is the freedom that they're speaking about? And I can, for me, like, I can only imagine that the freedom that they're talking about is one where they're just able to truly just live their life. Mm-hmm. Like, in the most basic way, be able to afford food and not, you know, try to figure out where, where it's coming from or how you're going to get it. Or, you know, like, who you have to barter with in your neighborhood to make sure that you at least have, like, a cup of rice. That you can extend that cup of rice for three weeks. Mm -hmm. So, it's like, they're literally just asking for the most basic fucking things. And the Cuban government is like, well, how dare you ask Mm -hmm. for basic human rights? Mm -hmm. You know? And, And it's like, well, you know where you fucked up? You fucked up in giving them internet and then thinking. Just the audacity for you to think that they weren't going to see what life is like mm-hmm. in other places or what life could be like for them. Absolutely. That's 100% how this... I mean, with the actual internet and the internet that was created yeah. by this network of people you know, coming on and off the island, the exiles that were trading information with you know, the citizens yeah. of Cuba, which is human behavior, really... There was no way they were really ever... I mean, they have been successful in controlling the people for a long, long time. But they were completely naive to believe that they kept like these They kept these people as if they were dogs in cages. And they would never have the desire to be curious. Yeah. Right? And I want to add something about this embargo argument. Because I know that it's a big thing that people I'm sure are still very like well wouldn't lifting the embargo mean that they'll get the medicine and that they'll get the goods that they need and that the people need a couple of things you want to remember you want to remember that like what we mentioned before those government sanctioned places mm-hmm. okay which you know right now are based that are all in rubble but still nevertheless they still exist and they're still selling goods yeah so sure yeah if you lift the embargo um, to be fair, you know, um, there are loopholes to the embargo for a lot of these uh, multinational companies. Yeah. Meaning that, like, Hilton does have a hotel in Cuba. And mm-hmm. so do other, like, mega, like, fort- not mega, other Fortune 500 type companies. 
So, like, I get it, cuento con el embargo, but come on. Right. Give me a new one. But let's remember that just a few weeks ago, if it was the embargo, which the Cuban government has always been very clear, like, America is the enemy, and they're the ones who don't want us to survive, so we you have, have to... You have nothing because of the Cuban... Because, because of the, the American government. Mm-hmm. Right? It Up until, like, what, a couple weeks ago, you couldn't bring any... Like, everything that you brought into the country had to be, like... Like, and you can attest to this because, yeah. you know, you haven't gone back to Cuba several times. Like, there are certain, you know, things that you can bring with you to, you know, to give to your family, um, like clothing, medicine and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You know, like when you said like the prescri- like the prescription or whatever from yeah. the doctor, you bring the medicine that the doctor is asking that you bring so that they can yep. perform such, you know, whatever pr- life saving procedure. Up until recently, there were very strict guidelines on how many pounds worth of medicine you could bring, how many pounds worth of clothing and goods you could bring. Um, you would be stopped on the way in and, you know, you yeah. probably and have searched. to and search and probably would have to trade or pay somebody off yeah. to let you get through with And let me whatever. tell you, let me tell you, when you are not, no, when you are still... When, you, when you're still traveling with your Cuban passport, because for me as a Cuban-born person, I have to arrive in Cuba using my Cuban passport. My husband does not. If we had gone 10 years ago, I would have to go in through one way and he would have to go in through another. That means that my bags are subject to be checked and they could take anything they want from me at that moment. It's not like, oh, well, they could do that anyway. No, no, no. Let's say all I took was my clothes and my underwear. If they decided that, like, they didn't want to let me in unless I gave them something, I basically would have to give them my bag. Mm-hmm. And how do I know this? Because I've, I've had to. I've had to give them from my bag. We had a woman once that would, like, so they would separate you, right? Mm-hmm. They would take all the women on one side and all the men on another. And my... They opened up our gusano, right, like the whole, the whole bag, and the lady started going through it and asking, like, who, what is this, and what's this for, and this, that, the other, and da, 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 And, you know, they do it so that, like, you can get agitated and you can get angry, so you can start yelling at them, and then at that point, they have all the power. Mm-hmm. And my mom was like, oh, is this, that, the other? And for everything, my mom was like, you could take it if you want it. You could take it if you want it. You could take it if you want it. We would put the money that we were taking from our, for our family, we would have to hide it. Like, once you go through security, we would go into the bathroom, hide the money on us, and then just let them take whatever they wanted from our bag. And one time, the lady asked for my mom's... Uh, my mom forgot that she was wearing her a gold bracelet, and the lady asked for it. Mm. And my mom was like, absolutely not. Like, how dare you? Um, and she was like, well, you either give it to me or you're just going to have to hop back on the plane. And my grandfather was sick, so there was no way we were hopping back up on the plane. And she gave the woman her gold bracelet. And my mom cried the whole way through because it was the first gold bracelet that she was able to buy herself here. And, you know, you just do what you have to do to make sure that you get to your family member that's going through a hard time because what you're bringing is literally for their survival. Mm-hmm. And it is so difficult for me to hear people consistently blame the embargo for how shitty you're treated when you go back. Yeah. 
Like, the embargo did not indoctrinate people into buying the bullshit from the Cuban government. And it did not force the people to turn on each other because of the Cuban government. Mm -hmm. We did that. Mm -hmm. Generations did that. Um, so when I, when I hear people talk about what it was like for their families when they left in the fifties and they never went back, my own experience is very different. I'm not, it's not to say that their experience was not terrible because I can't imagine having to pick up everything in the middle of the night and leaving, but it has also been very difficult throughout the years to be told that because I didn't have to do that. Therefore, my experience isn't as traumatic. You know? And it's like, how dare you? Like, I want to get into that part of it. Like, you know, um, seeing a lot of people posting and centering themselves around, around a very difficult subject while for years they have... They have tried to downplay the experience of others that came at different times. Um, and you, you and I kind of exist in both of these realms, right? Because you are the descendant of, mm -hmm. and I'm an immigrant. Mm -hmm. And as we've been going through all of these weeks, and as I've been seeing people, you know, really protesting and, like, trying to make me feel a way for not being at these protests, um, I have nothing to prove. Like, I've, I have lived experience. Mm -hmm. I lived there, I immigrated, I've gone back, I've gone back during the worst of it, I've gone back during okay times. Um, and seeing the people that made it feel like what I went through was nothing, and or that my, what my family went through was nothing, and have like in a way added to my self-hatred for having been an immigrant and made me feel ashamed of that seeing how they're centering themselves around what the country's going through has been very difficult has been so difficult and it sucks to feel like they shouldn't be a part of it because of what they did to me um but I recognize that all of us working on this together is very important, right? Because then I'm centering it around, around myself. Um, so, like, it just really has gone to show the nuance of our people and how it hasn't been so black and white. Um, because there's five generations that have been born under the Castro regime or under the Cuban, like, this fucking monster um and all of the experiences matter but i think it also matters to talk about the bullshit that you've had to go through here the bullshit that you've had to go through here um and i hate like i had to, i read like someone did this like beautiful post and was like now is not the time to to fight one another because we're trying to, like, fight this, like, bigger monster, right? And fight one another in terms of, like, you know, um, comparing pain mm -hmm. and, and basically, like, trying to, like, rehash old wounds or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I wrote back to him and I'm like, you know, it's nice. It's nice to feel this way, but, but it's also very difficult to have been on that receiving end 
and then seeing how you like our generation but for you especially that is a descendant like you're a second generation here um it's difficult to see how you're centering this around yourself and yet again are not allowing me to speak my piece you can't you can't hear me but i'm nodding (laughs) um if it was me you could hear my neck crack (laughs) you know it's been great to see how all of you have been blocking off um the 826 protesting, but like, God forbid, Black Lives Matter did it last year. You know, mm. um, it's been it's been great to see how all of you have been so quick to bring up your abuelo stories, while at the same time n- having negated me and others like me, our own stories here. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where I'm at right now. I'm in an area. I'm in a part where like all I want to do is talk about Cuba, but I don't want to talk about Cuba with certain people. That's completely fair. And I'm in a place where, like, I don't want to give everybody a platform. I just don't. I just don't. And, like, I don't know if you saw it, but there had been a post by uh, Miami Lifestyle mm-hmm. where they put this image of, like, Cuba in the 50s and it was, like, these clean streets. Mm-hmm. And then Cuba in 2021 and it's, like, dirty streets. And that was a moment where I realized that some people here, especially from, that are descendants of, missed the mark. Because Cubans aren't asking for a nostalgic Cuba. No. We're not asking for Cuba in the 1950s. Because Cuba in the 1950s was not great for all Cubans either. Mm-hmm. I come from the boonies. My people are not from Havana. I, I come from the same town as Willy Chirino, which, like, you throw a rock in my town and I'm related to 50 of them. You know? Um, that is how small my town is. So, it is such a... It is so disrespectful to have seen that post and be like, we're not asking to return to a 1950s. We're asking for just, you know, libertad and patria vida and, and fucking toilet paper. And I don't know, maybe like two cups of rice instead of the one. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, it yet again, it keeps showing me that while we've been listening to our abuelo speak for so long, we've only been hearing about how great Cuba was back in the day and how that's the Cuba that you want. But it will never be that Cuba. Mm-hmm. It will never be that. You have to think of where you want it to go, right? Like, let's say we succeed in removing the Cuban government that's there now. Where do you want it to go? What do you want these people to have? When I go back home, what do I want to see them in? Like, you know, because it's great to think of of this Cuba that hasn't existed in 60 years and be like, you know, because, wow, my house was beautiful. My family got a roof in, like, 1984. And the roof is metals, like, uh, how do you... Like a tin... It's like a tin roof. Yeah. Tin roof with, like, hay on the sides. You know? And we have a... We have a good house. It's a nice house, but... Mm-hmm. It's a metal tin roof. Like, if there's a severe thunderstorm... You Nobody can to talk careful. to each other. <laughs> you know? And then, like, the, the rest of it is cement. But it's a metal tin roof. And it, and before that, it was a hay roof. So God forbid there was a fire. Um, so it's great to hear these stories of, like, what, what your grandparents left. But that hasn't been a... Like, that Cuba has not existed in 60 years. We can't keep having this conversation of nostalgia. It won't be that. It hasn't been that. I am third generation born on the island. That is, at uh, that time, what, 30 plus years? 
of Castro being in power. Mm-hmm. What do those people remember? And the generation that, that remembers that Cuba, they won't be here in 10 years probably. I hate thinking like that, but it, it's the truth. I have them in my own family. You know, you have your abuela. Like, we want them to be there. There's so much that we want them to see. Like, we we're hoping to have them alive to see a free Cuba. But, like, realistically, it might not happen. Yeah. And and we And as their descendants, we can't keep thinking of this, like, the Cuba that was. No, it's a Cuba that needs to be. You're absolutely right. And, um, you know, I... Firstly, I want to really thank you for, like, being that... Like, speaking your truth in, in a very real way. And I really don't think that you'd be alone in that sentiment. Um, as one of those descendants of the 60 of the those who left in the 60s it's um like we're really really loud and um like not even we like our grandparents fed and fed and created a culture that is that was so built on they're like it was it was such a westernized way of looking at the trauma which is why i feel like the stories resonate in such a way to people because they can't imagine coming from the things the beautiful things they had to all of that taken away it's like it's like it's like an american's worst nightmare the story right yeah but the people, your generation and the generations that came after, you know, kind of got left in this, like, haze as if they were left to be slaves on this island. Mm-hmm. And it's always been, sadly, like, this, ay, pobrecito, ellos que no pudieran salir. Yeah. Like, ay, pobrecito, they don't know anything. They don't know that it's better out here. Ay, pobrecito, like, it was this, like, patronizing bullshit because we know here in Miami especially and in Mm -hmm. Tampa and and any place that has a large population of Cubans and Mm -hmm. Cuban Americans like you're even raised to hate other Cubans because like you know in the boat lift versus the ones who came on planes versus the ones who came uh, uh, um, during Pedro Pang and whatever, like, like you depending on your struggle and depending on your class and the way that you drive or the like, yeah, like the Cubans that came in the nineties, like myself, you know, were looked at as like los chuma, right? You're look yes, but not that, and it's completely a, a fallacy. It doesn't make any sense, but. Yes, we were raised to feel like, you know, like, ellos que, vin- que, que vinieron, you know, later in the 90s, like, are, like, uneducated. You know, que vienen acá. They don't want to work. They don't want to work. They come to use all of the resources from the states. Y llevan todo eso para atrás Cuba. And they're just putting money back in the pockets of the Castro regime. And it's this complete bullshit story. Okay, all of them repeat over and over and over and over again and have been doing for many years. And it really hasn't been until my generation was born 
not even maybe probably our generation was born like those of us who eventually started talking to each other I don't know, because I got a divorce from our generation. So, in my in my lived experience, it's been different. I, I, yes. I, I, it's I, been better as an adult. It's been interesting to see it as an adult, too. Well, I'm, I'm not going to lie. Like, it it wasn't until, like, have, like, asking the real questions and asking you the questions and, like, sitting down and, like, really, like, understanding the experience, even from my family who did leave in the 90s, too, like, sitting with them and trying to understand, like, the depth of it. Like, I'm not saying I got it all right. I'm not saying that, I'm not saying that it, you know, I didn't, you know, get taught those biases early on. Okay? Like, I'm not going to pretend that didn't happen. Yeah. But if it wasn't for discourse and for taking, I mean, a moment to to consider, like, a non-westernized view of of an existence that like like to take yourself out of your experience and listen to somebody else's experience is so hard to do i think yeah and and you're right it's it, it's weird it's sort of like what happens when people like lose a family member or like you know, like, are experiencing some sort of, like, great loss, Mm -hmm. people always feel like they need to challenge somebody else who also lost somebody. Yeah. You know, like, grief and trauma is not designed and should never be compared. Mm -hmm. Um, Because all of it is valid. Like, oh, whatever. If I I lost my dad in my 30s doesn't mean that it didn't hurt as much for me as it did for my siblings who lost them when they were... 10 11 you know what i mean like so it's it the feelings are complicated and it's weird now that we are entering into this age where we're trying to now we have like we have our generation coming in right that is trying to have like personally i am only connected to the island through those stories yeah. That's my only reference is through these stories. And the stories are all told differently but with the same like fairy tale once upon a time sort of facade, right? Yeah. And be that the case. When we now that there's this huge movement mm-hmm. that is taking place for someone, I don't know, I can only speak through my own experience. Because my experience has been through, like, research and through one-on-one accounts with people who've been there, and that's it. Like, I don't actually feel very Cuban, you know? Like, I'm I'm, I'm American. Yeah. With Cuban, with Cuban, with Cuba light <laughs> running through me, you know? Yeah. Like... And that, it, but what I'm trying to say is that if any of those people are like me, who've kind of felt disconnected from this like family history story, because you know that is trying to like pave your because you know like because all we are and you you the same, all we are are the children that are supposed that we were that everything was sacrificed for yeah we are the children that like your parents came on this 
like went on this crazy journey to to bring you here so that you could start this new chapter of their family Mm -hmm. history right and that's the same for me right so like we don't have i don't have a history my history comes from someone else so we see this happen and then you have so many of us that are just loud people like like not just loud in volume but like like looking for validation constantly that we take this cause up yeah and feel empowered to be able to do something finally to be able to say we were part of something related to this story now we can actually tell our kids not just the part where abuela y abuelo fled in 1962 you know we can say and we try to support the change I'll be honest, I still have I still haven't spoken to my own Cuban family, like my grandmother, my mother, my aunt. I have not spoken to them. They don't know that I posted on We Are Cuban. I have not even asked them their opinion. I don't even know what their opinion is. And you know why? Because I'm scared of asking. I'm scared to ask them and have them tell me something that was like the story I was fed yeah. all those years ago. Because they came, you know, a different time. Yeah. So it's like, it's weird. And, um, but it shouldn't also segregate us. Yeah. Because we're so good at that. We're all so good at looking at each other and saying, well, like, I'm Cuban too, you know, like... Like, I don't have family wealth. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, like trying to compare these experiences that are unfair to compare to. And it, frankly, is really eye-opening to hear from your perspective in, you know, how, you know, how truly like slap in the face it can feel. It is feeling. Yeah. Because you're right. I remember those kids. I probably blocked out my contribution to the bullying that other kids received. Um, I also want to say, right, cause I, because I came so young. I came at the age of six. So I've done all of my schooling here for the most part. Like, I started second grade. Um, and I came into a very big family. My abuela's side of the house, like my paternal grandmother's side of the house, Eight siblings were here out of 15. They had their kids here. And at that point, their grandkids. And we were getting into great-grandkids in the 90s. So, having to have to have sat through all of these stories of when they left in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, I was raised to assimilate, assimilate, and assimilate. So I was very proud of the fact that I had I barely had an accent. I was very proud of the fact that like um that my friends were born here. You know, like the self-hatred that they have had for themselves was passed on to me. And it's the self-hatred of hating that you're an immigrant. Hating that, like, you had to get here with nothing and then seeing people have so much more than you and then wondering why you couldn't have that, right? So it gets passed on. That's a generational trauma we talk about. Um, 
and I've been I it's I've been at fault for for saying like you know there were points in like my 20s where it was like yeah like things are bad in Cuba but they have cell phones and they're way worse off in like other places you know I I've done that shit I've compared our oppression to other places because you don't know better I mean like you know better but but when you're so young and you've been fed all these all this shit you don't know better and it really wasn't until I started at FIU and I went into like my sociology gender studies courses and then I met you and and you were probably like the first friend that I'd, ha- I'd met in a while where like you weren't raised there like n- nothing of you was there you know um and I had to start thinking about who do I want to be do I want to be the person that is ashamed to be an immigrant or do I want to just take it on as a badge of honor and move forward and it hasn't been an easy road because again I came when I was six I am very much an American person my the way that I view the world is through a, a Western lens um, and it's really been in the past mm, 10 or so years that I've like taken a deeper look into who I am and you know you start thinking about having kids and realizing that like I'm an immigrant and my husband is not and what are the things that I want to pass on to that child and when I have the conversations with our group of friends knowing my place in it and understanding that when someone is speaks out of turn you have to correct them because we have a friend who was also an immigrant but from a different country mm-hmm. and our lived experiences are very different as immigrants mm-hmm. you know um and it doesn't it doesn't take away from what we carry it's just different experiences because we come from different places mm-hmm. um when i speak with other cubans that have come before me or that have come after me in terms of like literally when we arrived here acknowledging that that their experience is valid and it matters and that my pain is not heavier than theirs and that their pain is not heavier than mine um and giving them a space to talk about it because I didn't have that space and in some parts of my life I still don't have that space my mom doesn't like to talk about it. My mom doesn't like to talk about... Doesn't like me to talk about, like, the bullshit that I went through in elementary school, right? Because it wasn't bullying, but it was still bullshit, right? Where you're like, you know you're different, and they make you feel different. And they let you know that you're different. Um, what was, what was I going to say? Oh, so my, my mom doesn't want to talk about it. And then my dad gets... Because he feels so American, right? I know he's justified because he's a citizen. Yeah. But he feels so American and so, like, in his truth that he gets angry. He, he, he gets very loud and very passionate when he talks about everything he went through in Cuba. Um, and I was very privileged. You know, we, we, we were privileged because my dad worked in tourism and managed to get things illegally because he made enough money to be able to get these things Ill- illegally. Um, FYI, getting things illegally does not mean that they are better. It just means that they'll they'll expire a day later. Hmm. Um, so we had these privileges when we were there, 
but my dad went through a lot in order to ensure that I had these privileges. And we got here and, you know, all of that still remained true. Um, and I'm a better person about the immigrant that I am today versus who I was yesterday, right? Because as the years have gone on, I've, I've lost communication with some of my friends from middle school and high school who are, who are also, uh, who also identify as women, who are only kids, who also came in the 90s. And through luck and social media, I, we found each other again. And in the past couple of years, we've all, you know, you've met them. We, we have like this, this connection again. And what's been tripping me up lately is that I don't remember who I was when I met them. I don't remember if I was kind about being an immigrant or if I was mean about being an immigrant. Um, I don't know that we ever talked about it. I don't know how to bring it up. Um, and as a person that is now going through therapy, it is something I'm working through, right? Because you, what people don't know is the immigrant guilt. If you're, if you're not an immigrant yourself, you don't know immigrant guilt. We carry generational trauma, yes, but the why me and not them, the like what I'm going through right now, which is feeling like I wanna talk to these people about our shared experiences and how they remember me as that person because I don't remember her. I don't remember who 12 year old Lisette was. You know, I don't know what conversations she really wanted to have or the ones that she actually did have. Um, and that's hard. And going through all of this, this past month and having to think about so much, having to think about, you know, leaving and, and being here and what you live through here and going back and like wanting to talk to your family that's there, but knowing that like they, potentially risk a lot for just having some sort of different opinion on a WhatsApp chat will get them in trouble. Um, you know, sometimes not really wanting to bring it up in the group because the truth is that all you, all you guys can do is hear me, not really like have a lengthy conversation about it. Even though I know you'll give me the space, it's hard. Um, even talking to Michael about it is hard. It's those moments where, you, like, you realize why people have siblings, <laughs> you know? <laughs> but then who's to say that, like, maybe I was born over there and they would have been born here? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's just, it's brought up a lot, and it hasn't been all bad, but it's it's also made me think of, like, in the same way that I'm thinking about what I would want Cuba to be, I'm also thinking about who do I want myself to be? Because that's also going to be very important. Because I will always, forever, and then some, be the immigrant. And then you have to wrestle with, you're an immigrant, but you came when you were six. (laughs) You know? Mm. But you still have your lived experiences. So, like, it's just, it's interesting. It's been, um... It's been a tough time. It's been an enlightening time. I worry 
because I don't know what will happen, but I'm proud as fucking hell about our people, like, of our people. I'm just so proud. And even if it goes nowhere, it's clear that they're willing to pick it up again. If they have to. So. Yeah, that feels like a... That was the best way to conclude this. Um, I didn't mean for that to feel like it was the end. It's I know, just like but it my, did. The verbal diarrhea that came out of my mouth. But it worked, and I'm just so thankful that you're here. And I mean, mm-hmm. I know that you're wrestling with a lot of feelings, and um, and I hope that the space that you that you need to work through this you know uh, identity yeah is found where you need it to be if that makes sense Mm -hmm. whether that be here whether that be with with the friends you've reconnected with um, which I'll pretend I'm not jealous about (laughs) (laughs) or you know wherever in therapy wherever because it is important and you know when we're thinking about growing a family and have and the kind of and what what the once upon a times we're going to tell our kids it is important to understand where we want that book to go where where mm-hmm. that story what the what the moral of the story is yeah and maybe the moral doesn't like the moral for me was always and you're lucky you were born here the and maybe the book doesn't have to go that way. Yeah. And, um, and, uh, you know, at the end of the day, like, it's gonna, I'm gonna, this is gonna sound super like, ugh, of course you're gonna say this. <laughs> but at the end of the day, the real enemy is the Castro regime. Those yeah. are the enemy, okay? And, and uh, no matter where you stand on this, I don't think anybody's looking at what's going on in Cuba and thinking they need to just shut the fuck up and enjoy that cup of rice they get once every couple months. And that, I think, is hopefully the most important part of the reverberation of the events because we can't, like, enter the country and, like, stop it. Yeah. <laughs> so it's... um it is really cool, terrifying, mm-hmm. and cool to watch a people, our people, find their voice. Yeah. Um, and having found it, like, not are not willing to let it go again. Yeah. And man, that's empowering, right? Yeah. Um, so... For this episode, we'll add some information, you know, organizations to follow if you're curious. I mean, I I haven't, on my end, I haven't seen organizations. I've just seen, like, people that have, like, connections over there Mm -hmm. and have taken on that that role of, okay, we're accepting donations for regagas and, like, to send medicine and this, that, the other. Mm -hmm. So... I, I will happily, like, 
hyperlink that you know if yeah. if you feel moved to to do more research and potentially donate mm-hmm. um or just keep an eye on it like on so epi asked me a couple weeks ago what i felt that like she should do because she wanted to donate money and at that point i didn't feel comfortable in donating even myself yeah. um donating money because we didn't we you just don't know when the Cuban government will pull the plug on the internet or the regagas or mm-hmm. whatever um so it just doesn't feel like the fruitful thing to do mm-hmm. so for me i say just do your research and repost if you're on social media repost these stories give people the space that they need to talk about their stories mm-hmm. um and if you know someone that is Cuban or of Cuban descent and you've seen them post, engage them in conversation because I assure you right now, we all want to talk about it. And we all want these stories to be out there. And we want all of these people that have been kidnapped and have disappeared to come back home. Mm-hmm. Um, so legit, like we are literally all in this together. Yeah. Perfectly said. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> what a great episode to come back to, man. <laughs> wow. But um, if you liked what you heard, <laughs> we do. Uh, if this is the first, if you, this was your first time listening through to us, uh, we thank you for making it all the way through and and giving us this opportunity to talk to you. Yeah. Um, if you like you, lighter banter, we have that as well. Uh, you could. Please make sure you you follow us on on Instagram. We're at Baby Lambs Podcast. Uh, we go on Twitch every once in a while as well. We're also there as Baby Lambs Podcast. Mm-hmm. We would love to continue the conversation, whatever kind of conversation yeah. it is that you want to have about this topic, or you know, if bringing any clarification to, or at least if you are just looking for resources and mm-hmm. you know whatever we're able to find we're gonna give you whatever you know perspective yeah and if this is all we talk about for the foreseeable future um we're just both coping with this Mm -hmm. as we can and um like everything it just helps to talk about it Mm -hmm. and giving each other the space so yeah Mm -hmm. It, it is what it is for right now um, but if you choose to follow us, welcome. Uh, we love to have you here. And if this is the first episode you got, just know that they're all as equally as exciting. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, don't rush too fast to that subscribe button, folks. Um, no, but really, please. Please. Okay. All right. Well, on that note, we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Baby Lambs podcast. Artwork created by Janabelle Art. You can follow her on Instagram at Janabelle Art, or you can follow her studio at Studio Nami Tattoo. Music created by Daniel Acosta and produced by Sunset Studios Miami. You can follow them on their Instagram at Sunset Studios Miami. And you can follow us on Instagram via our handle at Baby Lambs Podcast. You can also find us on Twitter at Baby Lambs PCAST or Baby Lambs Podcast. You can find us now on iTunes and Google Play yeah, yeah. and even on CastBox, which is actually a really cool app. Also by 
finding us via our handle, Baby Lambs Podcast, or by visiting our website at babylambspodcast.com. Thanks again for listening.